Hey, we're in a series right now called the Love Series. Would you say that with me? The Love Series. In fact, turn that person next to you and say it a little real creepy. Go, the Love Series. <laughs> yeah, all you single people just got creeped out. All those married folks were used to it. We started this series uh, first with loving God. Uh, and, and what a great teaching on, you know, the fact that Jesus said himself that um, in the last days, the love of most will grow cold. And I challenged you and I, let's not be a part of the most, let's be part of the few who keep our love passionate for Jesus. Are you with me? Say yes. All right, three of you. Thank you. The rest of us, we'll see you somewhere. The second part of the series was love your spouse. And uh, Gail and Alan Sims last week, were you here for that? Was that magnificent or what? 45 years of marriage, great wisdom that they gave out. And I'm so appreciative. They are heroes to Jamie and I. They're close personal friends. And the fact that they would say yes and come be with us. And uh, they're great leaders at Trinity Assembly of God Church here in Cedar Hill. Great friends of ours. And uh, they would come and leave, uh, not be in their service and come be with us. It was just magnificent. And Jamie and I were in Israel. So we we're just getting back, right? And so I'm still jet lagging a little bit. So if I pass out, it's not the glory of God. I'm just on a different time zone still in my brain. And uh, so as we jump in today, uh, today's part of the love series is going to be about loving your children. How many of you guys got kids? Let me hear you say yes. How many of you guys want kids? Say yes. How many of you guys like making? Uh, all right, so we're going to start. Uh, so today, so today, I don't know what y'all thought I was about to say. I was making Jesus happy. Anyway, so um, as we jump in today, I, you know, I had this moment yesterday where I was just kind of running around on Pinterest. And, um, and fine, I was just looking for, you know, thoughts about raising kids and child raising and that kind of thing and, and kind of the, uh, the fun of it all. So we're going to show you, the, for the next couple minutes, we're going to show you some images, and I need your help. As we show you images, and, and I'll read them out to you in case you can't see them real well. As we read them out to you, you then will respond with amen or oh no, okay? Get a real practice, right? right one night, one, amen or oh no, okay? Oh my, sorry, oh my. Here we go. So here's our first image. Tell me if you that sweetheart, sometime mommy's alone time is for your safety. Is that an amen or an oh no? That's an amen right there. There you go. How about this next one? Have kids, they said. It will be fun, they said. Is that an amen or an oh no? <laughs> oh my, thank you. you. You know better than what I'm supposed to. How about this? The first kid's room, second kid's room. That's the truth right there. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and the third kid, we just leave them outside. All right, here, here's the next one. The secret to a clean house, don't let your children in it. Come on, shout amen. That's an amen right there. Our house used to be so clean. All right, I don't care what doctor, what doctor makes them. I'm not buying $300 headphones for a 13-year-old. Is that an amen? That's an amen right there. That's not an oh my. How about this one? My daughter asked me what it's like to have kids. So I interrupted her every 11 seconds until she cried. I think that's an oh my. Moms are like, thank you, Lord, it's bedtime. That's an amen right there. Anybody with kids still? Uh, please pass the parenting book. I need to, oh, sorry, that wasn't supposed to make it in there. Remember that? Uh, I don't know who gave my child a whistle, but I will find you and I will kill you. <laughs> ah, that's an oh my. Okay, uh, how about this one? Uh, don't be fooled by this face. I had a baby without medication. I will snap you like a twig. <laughs> Come on, mamas. That's an amen right there. How about this ne next one? How I feel when my kids won't eat their food. Uh, let's see. How does it say it? Then go ahead and starve. Oh, my. Don't do that. Okay. okay. Give it up for our amen or oh, my moment. That was pretty good. Our key scripture today, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and open to Psalms 127.3. Psalms 127.3. And it says it like this. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Interesting that the Lord uses children in context with a reward. That they are a blessing, if you will, to paraphrase it. That children are a blessing from the Lord. If you were to continue reading uh, Psalms 127, what it begins to talk about is that it says in that, um, Blessed is the man who has a quiver full of children. For children are like arrows. And he had a quiver full. Our pastor believed that a full quiver was seven. And I told him I would never have a quiver full. And, but seven is how he believed it. And it's interesting. You've got to understand... 
fact that I just got back from Israel, seeing a little bit more from a Middle Eastern mindset, especially from an Israeli mindset, as this scripture is being penned as holy scripture, and God is literally saying to them that children are a blessing from the Lord. You've got to understand the plight of the Israelis. Um, the city of Jerusalem has been destroyed and rebuilt 40 times in history, more than any other city ever in the history of the world. The Israelites constantly found themselves throughout Scripture and throughout history being conquered by other people, being destroyed by them, being taken away as slaves. They had this happen multiple times in their history. So when it says that children are a blessing or a heritage, there are two things at play that children give us. Number one, having children gives us protection against the the wickedness around us. They become little warriors with us in our plight against the demonic forces and against the plan of the enemy. And for Israel, and the concept here in this passage of Scripture, that they are a blessing, they are a heritage, is that children also give you, if you will, a continuation of your culture. A continuation of... So, so kidnap us, destroy us, destroy the city of David, destroy everything, move us all around the world. We'll still have kids and our culture will still remain. Because through our kids, our culture, our belief system, what we value will continue on through our children. Frank, can I tell you something? Children are, in, are a heritage. They are a blessing from the Lord. You ought to say amen right there. They are a reward for our loving God. They are a response that he has to us, that we would love him. Children are a blessing. For Israel, you find them many times struggling to maintain their identity, but they maintained it through their children. I don't know if you know this, but when it comes to population and growth, uh, my Muslim friends, my Islamic friends, they have on average seven children per family, whereas the average American family is 1.7. Wouldn't you hate to be that 0.7 child? But 1.7 is our birth rate. And the reason um, the Islamic folks continue to have seven and eight kids per spouse is because they're fighting what they call a hundred year war. Because they know that as they continue to populate more than we populate, that their culture, their belief system will out outlive, outsurvive, and will win out and ultimately conquer every other culture, religion, and thought process. They've already accomplished it in many of the nations of Europe. Because France is down to 1.2, 1.3 as far as the birth rate goes. So you see France and all the difficulty they're having. You see, just, you see it happening in the United States when, when most of our younger generation refuse to have more than one child, maybe two at the most. And the reason that is is because we've been lied to that children are not a blessing. Friend, children are a blessing from the Lord. They are an inheritance. They are, excuse me, a heritage, a continuing on of who we are. Years ago, I was flying from one part of the world to another, and I was seated next to this gal who was from Australia, and I got to talking to her about my wife and my children and so forth, and I asked her. She was in her 40s. I was asking her, do you have kids? And she said, no. I said, well, do you ever want kids? She says, no, I don't think I do. And I said, well, why not? And she had some fears and some apprehensions and things like that, and I just looked at her, and I said, can I tell you something? When you die, how will we know that you ever graced the planet? She said, what? I said, how will, there ever, how will we know that you made any contribution to humanity when you die? Well, I'm working on this and I'm working on that. I said, but then someone else, people won't even remember that. I said, the way that humanity knows that Adam and Cain exist is through my children and my grandchildren. They are my continued footprint on the planet. And it hit her. You could see it. She was like, oh. And she started thinking, right? I think she even said it. I'm going to adopt as soon as I get home. I mean, it was the funniest thing because she recognized for the first time that children are a blessing. They're not a curse. They are a blessing. They are the continuation of who we are, our culture, what we believe, what we taught, what God did in our life continue through our genealogy, through our children. Through our, they are our heritage, and it goes down through them. They are a blessing. Now, many times people like this young lady are very scared and intimidated to have kids because they don't really know how to raise them up. Our key passage in loving our children is going to come out of Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4 is where we'll start. If you'll turn there quickly with me. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll put it on the screen for you. And, uh, and parents, you'll love the opening of chapter 6, verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Somebody shout Amen. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, 
that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Uh, Of all the commandments, honor your father and mother, this is the first one in the Ten Commandments where God actually attaches a reward to the obedience. So if you honor your father and mother, what will happen is you'll live a long life. I often wonder, people who have their lives cut short and die early in life, I often wonder, did this apply to them? Were they dishonorable to their mom and dad? Because God gives us a promise that if we will honor our parents, even if they're wicked, even if they don't act right, if we will honor them, that we may live a long life. Continuing on in verse 4, it says, And fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Don't exasperate them. There's not a whole lot of checklists throughout Scripture on how to raise kids. There's not like this, you know, this, this entire book dedicated to when to do this with a child and when not to do this. There are some assumptions that Jewish culture have. There are some pieces that are extremely important, and the scriptures bring them out, and I'm going to attempt to bring those out today. But at the end of the day, it is, a, for all of us, a learning curve. And I would imagine that most and each and every one of us are still learning how to love our kids, even as they're growing older and maybe even have become adults. How do we really know to love our kids. And so if I could today, I'd like to do a little survey with you. Would you pull out your smartphone for just a moment? Pull out your smartphone. Come on, you already have it. You've already been Googling half the things I've said. And what I want to do is I want to do a quick survey with your smartphone. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to present to you some options here in a second. And I want you to text your answer to the number that you see on the screen. Now, this is a little example of what your screen will look like on your phone. And then you'll have, you'll punch in the number in the, in the place where it says two. And then in the, in the, in the message box, you'll put, you'll punch in either of the choices that we give you. So go to the next slide for them. So here's my question to you. How would you rate your, your parenting skills? How would you rate your parenting skills? Number one, I'm a kid-raising guru, baby. I have got it going on. Or number two, I'm okay, but I still got a lot to learn. Or number three, I'm below average. Please help. Or number four, I should never be allowed to have kids again. Okay, the singles, you can even join in with this if you want. So you text the number 469-606-2684. And then in your message box, you put one, two, three, or four. And when you hit send, it will then, it will then show up in our little status piece here. So again, 469-606-2684. Number one, you might say, I am a kid-raising guru. Number two, I'm okay, but I've got a lot to learn Maybe you punch in number three, below average, please help. Or number four, I should never be allowed to have kids. Again, now let's go to our, oh, look at you guys. 83% of you find yourself uh, in that range of, you know what, I'm I'm okay, but I still have a lot to learn. Look at you being honest. Uh, Look at the last one growing, 0.4% of you, that's all the single people saying I should never have kids again. And, uh, and then I'm raising, I'm, I'm a guru, you, that right there is grandparents, that's what that is, that is, that's not people who are actually parenting today, guarantee you. So the reason why I wanted to do this is I want you to understand, if you're not careful, you do what I do, and I start comparing my parenting skills to other people who are really good, and, and are, are people who do something better than the way I do it. And I look up one day, and I'm discouraged in myself, and I, and I don't have it all right, or I look at these kids, and I'm thinking, man, those kids are amazing. And then they're my kids. What happened? And if you're not careful, you'll start doing those things. And, and, and the thing I want you to understand is we're all just learning. We're all figuring it out. Come on, somebody say amen right there. That's a good place. We're all just doing our best. We're okay, but we all have a lot to learn. So that should take a little bit of pressure off yourself. So today, I want to jump in and teaching you a little bit about what the Word of God says on how we're to love our kids and actually how we're to go about it. So let me give you a couple points on how to love your kids based on scriptural precedents. Number one, the first thing the Bible tells us to do in loving our kids is to train them up. Everybody say, train them up. Train them up. And uh, I love what Proverbs 22, verse 6, it quotes it like this. Train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not turn from it. If you'll train them in the way they're supposed to go, that when they're old, they won't turn away from it. Now, when it comes to training, training is a very specific skill that you and I have to develop. I, I see training as like a coach. I've had many coaches over the years, played a lot of sports. Maybe you were a musician and you had a music teacher. Are you uh, know what it is to be taught in school setting? But to train means to actually 
take responsibility. So the first sub-point under train up a child, they're not on the board, but just something you need to know, and that is you need to take responsibility for your child. I can't tell you how many times I'm with people, and their little blessings are running around, destroying the place, and they are engaged in conversation and not taking responsibility for their child. I've been on many of an airplane where a four-year-old is literally bringing havoc on that plane. Because that parent will not take responsibility for that child. At the end of the day, sir, whether that's your ex-wife, whether you didn't marry her or not, maybe you didn't mean to get her pregnant or not, you are still responsible for that child. That's your child. Ma'am, whether you like that kid or not, whether you got pregnant on accident or you didn't want it, it doesn't matter. That child is your responsibility. And the moment you take that responsibility on and you say, I will be responsible to train this child up, supernatural things will start happening to you. What we do is we shuck off responsibility. We try to blame it on somebody else. Well, if I would have had the support I needed, if I wouldn't have got pregnant at an early age, well, if she would let me do this with my child. Friend, let me tell you something. At the end of the day, you and I have to take responsibility for that child and to train them in the ways of the Lord. So the first step in training them up is you and I have to take responsibility. The second little piece that I would teach you on training them up is that you got to be willing to give them opportunity. You cannot train someone who doesn't get opportunity. You got to give them opportunity. You got to give them opportunity to fail. You got to give them opportunity to make mistakes, which means you cannot be yelling and screaming and and always directing the whole time. You got to give them opportunity. You got to give them opportunity to actually put into place some of the things that you have been trying to train them up in. You got to give them this privilege. Uh, When I was years ago, Jamie and I lived in one of these little, you know, cookie cutter neighborhoods, and every month there was the yard of the month. Anybody live in a place like that? It's miserable. Every month, yard of the month. And so, you know, Jamie started putting pressure on me to, for us to get the yard of the month. Well, the problem was is my son was about eight years old at the time. And I'd be honest with you, I was tired of cutting grass. I had kids so that they could do stuff. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> and so I got out there and I decided one day, one Saturday morning, I was going to teach my son how to cut the grass. He was eight years old. My best friend lived across the street, Dwayne Renfro. And Dwayne got to laughing at me because here I am trying to teach Cohen. He's eight years old, you know, so he can't really control the lawnmower. And so I'm out there c- teaching him and training him and coaching him. I'm giving him opportunity. And my yard for the next six months looked terrible. It was horrible. And Dwayne was constantly laughing at me like, you'll never win yard of the month. I'm like, forget yard of the month. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. My boy's going to be cutting grass and you're going to be sitting out there in, in August at 120 degrees dying. And what am I going to be doing? I'm going to be sipping tea and watching my boy cut the grass. And it took about six months. Opportunity created a maturity. Responsibility gave him a maturity that he didn't have before. And by the end, I'm telling you, by the end of six months, as my son turned nine years old, that boy was cutting the grass right down the line, backward and forward and backward and forward. And I'm sitting on the front porch laughing at Dwayne. <laughs> Why? Because I gave my son an opportunity. See, listen to me. Responsibility creates maturity. The reason why some of your kids will never raise up and actually act the way they're supposed to act because you never give them responsibility. You do it yourself. You clean their room. Shame on you. They're 25 years old. You're still cleaning their room. You're still cleaning their poop because you did not expect them to actually have an opportunity to raise up. Listen, if you set the bar low, that's as as far as people will go. But if you set it high, I'm constantly training you. You don't even realize it. I'm constantly training you. For example, we do a ministry moment. I don't come out and lay hands on people. I have you lay hands on people. You say, why do you do that? Because you're going to give an account on that day when you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And if I do what you're supposed to do, see, I'm just the quarterback. I'm not, I'm not the guy. Church on the Hill is not centered around Adam and Jane McCain. Church on the Hill is you. It's us. And at the end of the day, you're going to have to give an account on whether or not you made disciples. So guess what? Our church is not like the churches you came from. I'm not running around doing all the ministry. No, I've empowered you to start a small group, to win your friends and neighbors and love on them and disciple them. And some of you are like, I'm not doing it. I want you to do it for me. I'm not doing that because you know what? If I take that opportunity away from you, you will never mature. And when you stand there on that day, And he says to you, I told you and commanded all of Christianity, every human being that followed me to go and make disciples. You're going to be able to say, man, my pastor sure did make me do that. Why? Because I give you opportunity. And you don't even realize it's happening. I don't take that opportunity from you. I give it. And guess what? People begin to rise up. I give you the opportunity to raise up and begin to mature and begin to actually uh, minister to people. 
Friend, if you keep doing all these things for these children, they will never, ever become a vile part of our society. I've taught my kids a work ethic. You know how I taught them a work ethic? I'm going to give you an opportunity to clean this up right now. It's going to be a great opportunity. And I'm going to come back and check in an hour. And if it's not done the way it should be, do you understand what I'm expecting? Here's my expectation. Come on, have you ever worked for somebody? You have no idea what they expect. I'm sorry that you're a bad communicator, but start learning these things on how to train people. I expect you to put your books here. I expect you to put your clothes from off the, uh, off the floor on the hangers. And I'm going to give you an hour to do it. And I'm going to take all your digital devices out of your room so you can do it. And I'll be back in an hour. And I come back in an hour with a paddle. How'd you do? Wow, this is magnificent. This is great. Set the paddle down. Here's some cake. I mean, it's amazing how quickly... People will respond to opportunity. And what we've done is we've stolen that from our children. And we're not training them up. Here's another piece. I know you're not saying amen, but I'm telling the truth. Here's the next piece that I do in training my children up is I role play with my kids. I role play with my kids. So I'm always asking. So, so you know, Dad, I was at school, and this girl, and she said this, and I'm just so mad, and she called me stupid. I said, well, let's, let's back that up. Let's talk about that a little bit. So what did you do that started the conversation? I pulled her hair. All right, well, let's back up. So tomorrow when you get there, how can you fix this situation? Let's talk about what you might could do. So I'll be her. I can't believe you pulled my hair. Now, what are you going to say to her? Um, shut up. No, that's not the right one. Let's back up a little bit. And so we'll role play so they can be prepared. Come on, somebody. So they can, Don't you role play before you go into an interview? Don't you like, you think that I'm going to tell him I'm the best you'll ever have. If you hire me today, I'm going to make your company explode. If you don't do that, you need to look in the mirror and start role playing. No wonder you're not getting a job. You need, to, you need to get in, start, come on, build yourself up a little bit. I start role playing with my kids and give them opportunity to learn before they're ever in a situation. When my child, when Adeline was going to school in first grade, we set her down and I role played with her about if anyone tries to sexually assault her. And we went through, you're in the bathroom. You've got your britches down, and, you're, and someone walks in, a teacher or a little boy or another little girl, and they start saying, can I do this? Can I see this? And what are you going to say? I'm going to say this. That's, no, no, say this instead. Okay, that's a good one. Then what are you going to What if they tell you? What if they tell you that if you tell your dad or mom what they've done to you, that they're going to kill your mom and dad or kill you? What are you going to tell them? I, I don't know, Dad. What? Well, come here. And I brought her, and I showed her my gun. I said, see, my, see Daddy's gun? They can't kill me, baby. I'm serious, I really did do this. Please extract that from YouTube. <laughs> it's going on. Good Texas church, hallelujah. I didn't want her to be lied to and care. Come on, we've had kids do that. And I told her, you don't worry about nothing. Dad will take care of it. Okay, Dad. I'm telling you, she was three months in, and she came home. She said, somebody said something terrible in the bathroom. And I was like, what was it? Some little girl was picking her boogers or something. I was like, oh, baby, that's not what I was talking about, okay? I'm glad you don't really know what we're talking about, but good. Keep telling Dad all the stuff that's going on. Here's the next piece that I would teach you and train up your children, and that is that you need to teach them from your own mistakes. Why do you keep hiding them from them? They, they see it. So teach them from your own mistakes. I'll give you an example. Years ago, I was running Christ for the Nations, and we had an evening meeting on a Tuesday night, T&E, and I was running a little late because my wife was talking or something. I don't remember what it was. I'm just kidding. It's my fault. And so I got the kids with me this time, and Cohen's in the front seat. I don't even think Adeline's born yet, and Mariah's in the back seat. And we're going, and I'm going up 20, trying to get to 67. I'm in a hurry, so I am in and out of traffic. You know, those four lanes on 20, I'm... I'm just, I'm moving. And I had this thought, man, I'm going really fast. But you know what? There's no way that they can radar detect me because I'm not in a straight line and they're going to not be able to get me. So it's no big deal. And I'm just in and out of traffic. And I'm speeding and I'm going around people and people are getting mad at me and stuff. And all of a sudden I look in my rearview mirror and way back I can see, uh, I can see a patrol car coming my way. So I pull over in the slow lane and I just kind of start cruising, you know. He gets up on the side of me, lights me up, pulls me over. And, uh, and then he gets out. He's got his mirror glasses on, you know, gets his mirror glasses. And he walks around my car, chink. Chink, chink. Walks all the way around it. I roll down my window. He's like, roll up your window. I was like, oh, okay. He walks all the way around it. And I know he didn't get me for speeding because there's no way he got a radar detector on me. No way. And, uh, and so he, I finally, he comes to the window, knocks on the window. I roll down the window. I said, sir, is there a problem? He goes, you're a pretty aggressive driver, aren't you? I'm like, what do you mean? 
He said, I've been following you for a mile, but I've not been able to get my radar detector on you. I know you were going pretty fast. Really? I didn't notice. He goes, yeah, but way back there, you switched lanes and, and you didn't put your blinker on. I was like, yes, I did. He's like, I said, maybe my blinker's out. He goes, well, if your blinker's out, that's, I'm going to have to write you up for that too. So he walks out, we look at it, doggone blinker's out, and he writes me a ticket because my blinker is out, and I lose it because I'm right there by Oak Cliff. I'm like, listen, there are people, crackheads, murdering people right there, and you're going to pull me over for a blinker. You got, I mean, I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind, man. People are dying. They're dying right there. Probably, you hear them shootings? Why don't you go over there and leave me alone? And man, and my kids are like, oh God, daddy's going to jail. I mean, they're all crying. And I'm so mad at him. And then he writes me the ticket. And then he goes, you need to appear here. And I was like, how much is this for? He said, it's going to be about $200. I was like, $200 for my blinker? Like, you got to be kidding me. I'm like, whatever, get out of here. And I roll up the window and he drives off. And I'm so mad. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord came upon me and said, oh, great man of God. Look what you have taught your children. You only obey authority when it's convenient for you. But when it's not convenient, you can do whatever you want. And I start weeping under conviction. And I look at my kids and I say, I say, babies, what, what does daddy do when you're disobedient? You spank us? I said, right. I said, you see this piece of paper right here? Daddy just got the worst spanking that he's had in a good year. We didn't have $200 at that moment. I was like, I am, I am so sorry. I said, listen, daddy was disobedient. I broke the law. I'm wrong. And I had a bad attitude about it. Would you pray for me? So at, Mariah gets out of the car seat and she lays hands on me. She said, prays, oh God, I pray you forgive my dad for being disobedient. And I pray all the demons inside of him would come out. All the demons would leave him right now to cause him to be a bad person. I'm like, golly. But in that moment of doing wrong, I saw the opportunity to teach my children the right way, even though I had failed. Come on, somebody. That's what's called being authentic and being real. You're going to blow it. Don't be so prideful that you don't stop and say, let me use this as a training moment. You saw what dad just did? Don't do that. I know that you, I know I should have done better. Would you pray for me? Would you help me? And once you engage them in that training process and they see from our mistakes and our, and our successes, they will grow as well. All right, here's the second piece. So number one that we see in scriptures, we're supposed to train up our children. Number two, the way we love our children. Uh, we saw it real clear in that other passage in Ephesians 6. Don't exasperate them. Don't exasperate them. There's a mirror scripture that Paul gives to this found in Colossians. Uh, and it's found in Colossians 3.21. Put that on there for them. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So when I say to you, don't exasperate, you, exasperate them, or when the scripture says to us, don't exasperate them, what it's talking about is let us not so challenge them, let us not be so hard on them that they become discouraged, that they never can, they never can meet our expectations. Dads, I've seen some of you, and you're so embarrassed that they're acting out in public, that you give an expectation that I myself could never meet. If you ever do that again, well, they're going to do it again. They're kids. Don't exasperate. There's no way. And the key to that, as I understand it, is instead of, instead of discouraging them, encourage them. Now, what that means is, see, encourage, discourage. Discourage is to steal courage away from that person. Encourage is to empower them with courage. And so you need to tweak your way of thinking when you're correcting. You should correct them. The Bible says to, to whoop them. It actually does. It talks about uh, spanking them with the rod. But the whole point of that is to bring courage in, not to take courage out. So in your communication, in your discipline, in your training, do not exasperate them. Do not steal courage from them. So in your verbiage, in your interaction, is what you're doing bringing courage in or taking courage out? Even when I spank my kids, I'm giving them courage. And what I've done is, when they've been disobedient, I've then bring them to the side. We sit down, and I tell them, I'm about to spank you. Do you know why I'm about to spank you? Because <laughs> I was disobedient, right? But what did you do? I want, this to be, I, want, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be strengthened to know what's right and what's wrong. I'm not whipping you because I'm mad. I don't want to whip you. I, this is a waste of my life. I'm doing this because I've got to raise up a great man or a woman of God in you. 
So what did you do wrong? I did this. That's right. And I'm going to spank you, not because I enjoy your pain, because every time you are tempted to do this again, I want you to remember the pain that you cause everyone else by the pain by which you experience right now. That's why I'm going to do this. And so when I spank them, I let them cry it out, and then I come back and I hold them in my arms. And I look them in the eye and say, I love you. This is over. Stop your crying. It's over. I don't, I'm, and then I never go back. Like you did yesterday. You get, every time you do this over and No, no, no. I thought, I thought all the, uh, it's all passed away. I thought the old has become new. Why do you keep reminding them of what they did wrong yesterday? Don't do that. What you want to do is bring courage to them and say, you remember how you overcame that? Come on, we don't, you don't ever get spankings for that no more because you're an amazing kid, and I love you. I look for when we're in restaurants, my children early on just are normal children like anybody else. And I'll never forget one time with Adeline. She, uh, she's got her little phone, and she's playing. The waiter comes over and is taking our order, and she won't even look at him in the eye. And he's asking me, uh, what would you like to drink, sweetheart? And she's just, uh-uh. And, and, I, and I'm finally, her, I hear her mom go, Adeline, the man's talking to you. Oh, um, what? And she did that. I was like, hey, time out. Hey, we'll be right back. Let's go. And I brought, her, I brought her outside. I said, let me tell you something. That man's working a full-time job to provide for his family. And, no, and I'm not going to have any little six-year-old be a, be a butt. You understand me? She starts crying. I said, that's not right. That man's working hard. And when he talks to you, you show him respect. And you look him in the eye. And you tell him what you want to drink. Do you understand me? Yes, sir, daddy. And we're going to get back in there. And we're going to do it again. All right, let's try again. So we get back in there. The man comes back around to the table. He said, did I get everybody's order? I said, no, sir, you didn't get her order yet. And she looked him right in the eye. And then I went, good job. That's my girl. And when we got home. And we prayed for her that night. I encouraged her in the, right, in the right effort that she made. We're so quick to point out what they do wrong. Do we ever point out what they do right? And when they respond to what we've taught them, we should encourage that. Exasperation comes because how many of you have been exasperated with a boss? I don't know what he wants. It doesn't matter what I do right. I'm still getting rid of right or wrong. I'm still going to get written up. Because this guy just, there's no way of pleasing him or her, whatever it is. Let us not be that way with our children. Let us bring courage to them to go bear, bear hunting with a switch. When, when my son was younger, after having multiple surgeries, he had this real fear of people. And many people would use that as an excuse. I would not use that as an excuse. And so he would, I'll never forget when it first started, and, and somebody would walk up to us and say, Hey, hi, little boy, what's your name? And he goes, uh, uh. And I'll grab him by the ear, shake that man's hand. Uh, you know, and the guy's like, oh, it's okay. No, no, sir, keep your hand out. Keep your hand out. Shake the man's hand. We'll be right back, sir. Take him in the back. Tighten him up. Bring him, shake the man's hand. And now, good job. You got his hand. Listen, now my son will walk right up to you, look you in the eye and say, hey, my name's Cohen McCain. But I had to train that up without destroying him and causing him discouragement. Now, I was in Israel this last month excuse me, this last week. And as a result, I had this cool experience with what Israelis call their age of accountability with their children. I think I want to point, I'll play a little bit of video footage. And I think if you can grasp this little concept, it'll help you in raising your kids and loving your kids the way you're supposed to love. So play that footage for them and I'll explain it here in just a second. Hey guys, we're at the Wailing Wall and what happens on Mondays and Thursdays is that good Jewish families can bring their 13-year-old sons and have a bar mitzvah here. In fact, you see a family just behind us. Because at 13 years old, they believe that that child is no longer a child, but is becoming an adult. No longer is that, that dad. He actually says a prayer. The dad says a prayer at the bar mitzvah. You've released me from the responsibility of this individual now. In other words, they are accountable for their own self, their own sins, their own accountability to be obedient to the Lord and know the Lord for themselves. I think something we can really learn is an age of accountability, how we discipline our children, how we serve uh, the Lord in caring for our kids. And notice how the Jewish folks do it is they actually bring them to a place and say, you have now become a man. You're responsible for yourself. Yeah, so I think that this will really help us if we can grab the concept of an age of accountability. I don't think that 13 is like this magical number for every child. I think some children are a little quicker to catch and understand that they're responsible for their actions. And then some may be a little further along before they really get that. But I think it will help you in your parenting and loving your kids when you recognize, hey, wait a minute. At this age, I am telling them this is right, this is wrong. But at this age, they should know and understand for themselves. You've now not sinned against mom and dad. You've sinned against the Lord. And see, I believe in this age of accountability, and I'll give you a couple of perspectives. For example, when a child dies, a child does not go to hell. 
I believe that they go to heaven because they're not at a place where they even understand what sin is. They haven't willfully and un, un, uh, uh, personally sinned against God purposefully. They were born in sin because we all have a sin nature. But there's a moment where a child becomes to a place of understanding that I'm going to do this no matter what you say because I want to, because my wants outweigh what I think is right or wrong. I don't care. That's becoming an age of accountability. And at that age, whatever it may be for Jews with their bar mitzvahs and their uh, and, and their bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs for the young ladies, they believe it's at 13. So they celebrate, if you will, the responsibility that you now take on as, as a young person to now be responsible for your relationship with the Lord and the word of God itself and how you will obey it in and of your own will, not by force of your parents' will, but by force and desire of your own will. So the will comes into play. And I think that you could really do better at your parenting and loving your child when you recognize, especially in their teenage years, hey, listen, I love you with all my heart, but this is between you and Jesus. And you're acting this way in my home. First and foremost, I'm not going to allow you to do that. But at the same time, this is between you have a hard heart and you need to repent to God. And that's a difference between, hey, hey, I'm the one who tells you what to do. You're my kid. There's a difference in that, no, you're responsible for your own actions now, and you've got to give an account, baby boy, for who you are in God. And now, now when you stand before the Lord, so you'll see even in the church, the way we minister to your children, for example, on Sundays, we teach them the word, and we minister love and compassion to them and teach them what's right and wrong, only to supplement what you do, because you are their mentor, not us, not our kids' ministers. You are. We simply provide a service for you on Sundays. But in our youth ministry, when they're 13, 14, all the way up to 18, we make a shift, and we're not, we're not just teaching them the word so they can understand it. We're now actually saying, hey, listen, how will you respond to what this scripture says? Because you're now accountable for your own actions. You have to give an account. Because if you die today as a 14-year-old, 15-year-old, knowing how you're supposed to live and refusing to obey the Lord, that's between you and God. And teaching them a little, and, and interacting with them in a little different mindset because now they're at a place of accountability. I think that'll help you. I think that'll strengthen you. Here's the, la, the, the third piece in loving our children that the Bible teaches, and that is to teach them God's ways. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 6 through 7. And again, it says it like this. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Talk about it. Teach them the ways of the Lord. Can I explain something to you? If you're not careful, you're so busy talking about SpongeBob and whatever else that you never teach your children the ways of the Lord. You never teach them the things of God. And so you say, well, when do I do that? I mean, I thought y'all were doing that for me at church. Friend, I can't teach them. Our kids can't teach them what you're supposed to be teaching them on a day-to-day basis. He says, listen, bind them to your hearts. And he says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. Man, turn the TV off for a little bit every now and then and just talk about what does God want from us? What is God like? What's his nature? How can we walk uprightly with him? How can we embrace forgiveness and the joy of knowing that we'll never be perfect and we don't have to live in perfection. We just have to live in a love relationship with the living. How do we teach our kids that? By impressing it upon their hearts every day the best you know how. Listen, can I tell you something? My mom, and dad, my mom and stepdad, they were brand new baby Christians. We all got saved together. They didn't have it all figured out. But every day we did our best to somehow understand the word of God and grow as a family. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be a theologian to teach your kids what God is teaching you. Just teach them as you're learning. Teach them as you're understanding. Show them the things that you're learning from God and what the Bible says. And, and, and it, it, seal it. It says impress it on their hearts. Seal it on who they are. Teach them the word of God. That's one of the great ways we can love our children is they have this undying, unfettered understanding of who God is because we have taught them as they were children growing up in our homes. This is what is so important. And, you know, for me, I used to, every morning I would take the kids to school. We had about a 15-minute ride. And every morning, it was a, it was a short time. I, it wasn't a long sermonette. Lord, they didn't want to hear me preach anyway. But I would just start asking them about things in the Bible. And ask them if they understood it. And we've had some of the greatest conversations. I've told you this before. I'll never forget. We were riding. Kids were little. Cohen and Mariah. And Cohen and Mariah are talking in the back seat. And I'd just gone through, you know, put on the whole armor of God. Feet shot with the preparation of gospel peace. And I was teaching them about what that means. And all of a sudden, Cohen goes, Dad! Dad! Mariah just said she doesn't want Jesus in her heart. And I'm thinking, oh my God. I got a little demon in the back seat. 
Oh my goodness, and the same fears that you get, like the pastor's kid is a devil. What am I going to do? He's like, Dad, she doesn't want Jesus in her heart. And so I calmed myself and I said, I said, Mariah, you don't want Jesus in your heart? Nope. See, Dad, tell her. You got to have Jesus in your heart. You got to have Jesus in your heart. Mariah, why don't you want Jesus? I don't want him in my heart. You got to have Jesus in your heart. And again, she's like two, two, three years old, right? And all of a sudden she goes, I don't want him in my heart. I want him in my neck. Works for me. (laughs) As long as you got Jesus, I don't care where he's at. I want him in my big toe. You know what? It's so wonderful how kids think, right? And so just to break that down, the other day, uh, Mariah, uh, Adeline, and I were just talking about angels. Some little girl said something about school and and about some demon stuff. And I started just talking to her about angels and what the Bible says. And I took that moment because she said something. And I just took it and I taught her what the Word of God says. I didn't make her sit down on today's Bible study day. Turn the TV off, hallelujah. Sit your beat to hiney right there, and we're going to study the word. I, didn't do, I don't do that. What I do is I find those moments in our day-to-day life. Are you with me? Say yes. Here's the last and final thing I would teach you on how to love your kids, and that is, number four, write it down. Stop your worrying. Somebody say amen. Come on, mamas. You need to say amen to me by faith. Now, what I love about this um, is what the word of God says. In Lamentations Chapter 3 and verse 22. We'll go straight to that, guys. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22. Look what it says. It says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. All right, now let me, that sounds really good, right? But let me put this scripture in perspective. This is one of five lamentations. They were songs of they, they were sad songs, five lamentations. We're not really sure if Jeremiah wrote these or who, but they are lamenting. They are crying out because we have blown it. What has transpired as this is being written is that Israel once again in their sin have turned away from God. God's released his hand from them and someone, another, com- uh, another uh, country has come in and conquered them. They've destroyed them. They've taken their city of David, they've, excuse me, they've taken their city away from them. They've taken the Ark of the Covenant away from them. They've destroyed their temple. They have no family heritage and now they are slaves. And guess what they have a revelation of as they're being drawn, uh, dragged off into slavery to, a, to another land away from their home. Guess what, they, guess what they write? Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is whose faithfulness? Great is whose faithfulness? Great is your faith. We've not been faithful, but your mercies are renewed every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Listen to me, mama. Listen to me, daddy. You may not have been the best mom and dad, but great is his faithfulness. You may not have known exactly how to raise up your kids, but great is his faithfulness. And his mercies are renewed every morning. Yesterday's gone. Today's today. Lord, give me grace today. Give me wisdom today. I don't know how to deal with this little hellion blessing, but Lord, I pray right now that you (laughs) give me strength because today's a new day. Do not worry, the Bible says. It says, worry not about today, what you will eat or what you will drink. Your father knows you have need of all these things, but seek first the kingdom. Friend, can I tell you something? You and I get to worrying about things. Worrying if our kids are going to be a failure. Worrying if they're going to get hurt at school. Wondering if somebody's going to be prejudiced against them. uh, Listen, you should never worry because great is his faithfulness. The Bible says it like this. If the Lord watches not over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. I used to worry about my girls, especially going off to school. Who's going to try to molest them? Who's going to try to hurt them? I'm the one sitting in counseling appointments hearing about people being molested. So I've got this, this fear. I'll never forget sort of overtaking me. And I, and I had to get down on my face and I had to commit myself. Lord, I will trust in you. Because if you don't watch over my children, there's no way I can be there at every moment of the day. Are you with me? If you're not faithful to help them understand what that teacher's teaching, I can never help them enough. You are the God that I trust. You are the one in whom I put my hope, my faith, and my trust in. And can I explain something to you? Write this down. I got a little statement for you on this. Write this down. Worry, the root cause of worry, is not misplaced uh, priorities. It's misplaced faith. The root of worry is not that you didn't do this good enough and you didn't make this a priority and you didn't pray enough over your kid. It's the fact that you've misplaced your faith in God to take care of your kid. 
You're just doing the best you can. Listen to me, parent. You're just doing the best. Listen to me, pre-parent, single person who's scared to have kids because, you know, you're scared you're going to mess them up. Listen, you just do the best you can. Keith King wrote a little, little song back in the day. It says, just keep doing your best. Pray that it's blessed, and God will take care of the rest. That's all we can do. Keep doing our best. Pray that it's blessed, and he will take care of the rest. Worry is proof that you don't trust God. Faith that God will take care of us. Friend, that's good parenting. Faith that he will cover my weakness. Faith that he will help me to be a good dad, even if I didn't have a good dad. That he would teach me how to teach him the word, even though I don't understand the word. Faith that God will cause me to love my children, even though I inherited those kids. They're not even my, of my own. They're my wife's kids. They're not even mine. That God would help me love them. That God would show me how to train them up, how not to exasperate them. God, I'm trusting in you. Worry not, for God's for you and not against you. Would you stand with me all across the room today? Come on, somebody, give the Lord a hand. That was powerful. And I'll close with this thought. One day, a little girl was sitting and watching her mother do the dishes at the kitchen sink. She suddenly noticed that her mother had several strands of white hair sticking out of her black head itself. She looked at her mother and inquisitively asked, Why are some of your hairs white, Mom? Her mom replied, well, for every time you do something wrong and make me cry or unhappy, one of my hairs turned white. The little girl thought for a moment and said, mom, how come all of grandma's hairs are all white? Can I just tell you right now, don't worry, we're going to make mistakes and you're not going to be the greatest and the best. But I'll tell you this, he is the greatest and the best and he will give you strength if you and I will commit our ways to him and do our best to love our kids he'll teach us, he'll train us join hands that person next to you let's pray Father we pray as a congregation that you would help us to love our children or we get a grasp maybe a revelation on this whole age of accountability piece and how to train that child in those different formats of their existence Father I pray right now in Jesus name that the exasperation that we have felt over the years that maybe a parent did with us, that we were never good enough, it was never enough, that, Lord, we, we break that curse right now that we will not do that with our children. And if we have, we repent, God, that you would help us to encourage and not discourage. Lord, for those of us who have not taken responsibility to actually train up our children properly, we've been passive, we've been, we've been sloppy in that. Lord, today we make a decision. Hands join, one body, one group of parents. We make a decision right now to take responsibility. Lord God, not to make them good or bad, but to train them up. And then, Lord, what they do with that training is really on them. Lord, I pray right now a release from guilt and shame for parents that have adult children who have walked away from you. Lord, I, 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 Lord God, I just speak against and pray against that fear of failure, that we didn't do it good enough or we weren't good enough or somehow we weren't perfect. And Lord, I just thank you for your mercies. We fall on your mercies. We thank you, Lord God. We, even as lamentations cried out, we thank you that your mercies are renewed every morning and that you are faithful when we can't be faithful. And so, Lord, we ask you for your help. Lord, for those of us that have children still at home, that you would help us not to just raise them up, but to train them up to be like you, Jesus. And Lord, we pray that their hearts would be turned towards you where we can't make them change where we can't get them to fall in love with you that Lord God that you would reach out to them and the same way you grabbed our heart you would grab their heart and Lord we ask you now Lord God to give us wisdom and guidance we ask for patience with strong-willed children we ask you Lord God to to help us be be open with our mistakes and and not be critical and judgmental with our own you know teenage kids and those that are a little older but Lord God that we could actually walk in love and sincerity. And we ask you, Lord God, for strength in Jesus' name. If you let go of that hand of that person next to you, you can just keep your head bowed for just a moment. Maybe you're in this place today and you say, Pastor, I gotta be honest with you, I'm not a Christian. If I died today, I'm not sure I would go to heaven. Friend, I've been there. I know what it is to watch people have this real relationship with God. And, I, and I'm not having that. I don't know that. I know what it is to go to church and still not know Jesus. I know, I know those pieces. 
There were moments in my life I was like that. Oh, but that came that, then came that day where the preacher explained to me that if I would confess with my mouth, with my mouth and believe in my heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, that he would cleanse me and forgive me of my unrighteousness, that he'd make his home in my heart, that me and Jesus could become best friends and I could have a relationship with the king of glory simply by asking, simply by accepting what he did on the cross. Friend, today, if you don't feel like you're right with God, you don't feel like you're a Christian, if you're scared that if you were to die, that you wouldn't go to heaven, don't leave this place like that. The word of God clearly tells us that you're just a confession of your mouth, a believing in your heart, away from being in a right relationship. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian but you want to become one, you're not in a real relationship with Jesus but you want to start one today, I'd like to connect you and Jesus. I'd like to help you know my best friend, Jesus Christ. And I'd like to lead you in a prayer of repentance where you ask God to forgive you of your sins and you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's what I would like to do today. If that pulls at your heart, if that resonates inside of you, is yes, this is my moment. I'm, t- I'm tired of living this way. I'm ready for a change. If that resonates in you, would you let me pray with you? Would you do that by acknowledging that, by lifting your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I'm, I'm ready to become a Christian. I'm ready to get right with God. If that's you, would you just throw your hand up and I'll pray with you. Thank you, sweetheart. Anybody else? Pastor, I want you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Give you about three seconds and just acknowledge that to me, to God. No one else is looking around. Thank you, sir. It's a private, deep, private decision, but it's real. God bless you, sir. Anybody else? A couple more seconds. I don't want to keep pulling and tugging. I just want to give you. Okay, baby, love. Anybody else? Amen. You can put your hands down. Now I'm going to lead you in a prayer, just a prayer of repentance. And the word of God's clear that Jesus is going to respond to your prayer by embracing you and wash you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness because he paid for that already on the cross. So I'd like everyone in the audience to pray out loud with those who lifted their hands. And I want you to pray it like this. Say, Jesus, today I admit I'm a sinner. I admit I've sinned against you. And today I ask you, forgive me. Cleanse me of my sin. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Here and now, I declare Jesus is my Lord and I will serve you all of my days in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for just a moment. Father, I pray for those men and women who lifted their hand, who prayed that prayer with all sincerity, Lord God. I pray right now they would feel the peace of God like a blanket overwhelming them. Lord, and when the lies come, it's, oh, you're not going to really do that. You don't really mean that. That all those lies would just be stopped and silenced by the voice of God's love to their heart. That you are theirs and they are yours. God, I pray right now that significant movement would start happening in their everyday life. And they would sense that you're an ever-present help in time of trouble. Let peace overtake them in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen and amen.